Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Today we have a very unique and special guest. I have on an actual ER doctor, and her whole purpose online and on social media is helping keep you out of the ER. And I don't mean in the sense of just, you know, never falling off a bike or never having a cutter scrape or getting sick, but more so understanding that there is ways that we can keep out of it just by knowing how to deal with things at home. Now, keep in mind, everything we're talking about today is just topical. This is just things for you to be informed about and to sort of give some education and guidelines around some certain things, but also want to make sure that we're not giving necessarily medical advice per se, just talking around some more facts and things that help you sort of improve on your awareness on what you need to be doing in certain situations and how to stay out of the ER. So please welcome Dr. Shazma Mathani. Today's guest is truly unique. We have on an actual real life ER doctor and she's coming on to share some tips and tricks to stay out of the ER. And I don't mean in the sense of never getting hurt or never getting sick, but more so some education and some tips and tricks around when to actually go to the ER. Obviously, this is not medical advice per se. We're just going to be talking about some things and some of her best tips and understandings between some myths or facts, when to go to the ER and when it can be treated otherwise. I'm going into this conversation pretty green as well. And I'm excited to hear more about what she has to share with us today. So please welcome Dr. Shazma Mathani. I think you're my first doctor that has ever come on the podcast. This is very exciting. So for me, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Your content is really great because I think a lot of a lot of parents, especially, we have the deepest, darkest of fears living within us. And we also want to do what's best. And you're on the other side where you're an actual ER doctor and you're like, okay, well, how do we keep parents, you know, 
doing the right things and making sure they're making the right decisions and caregivers doing that, but then also not having everybody kind of flood the ER. Talk to me about why you started sort of working on this content and really getting the message out on social media and why that felt so important to you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing that the pandemic made very clear was that a lot of people were starting to consume health information on social Mm, media and on the internet. Yeah. And so, I mean, I kind of started out being in this space during the pandemic and trying to provide kind of useful information and helpful information for people at a really scary time. It was scary for me too. And for my family. And I wanted to kind of be able to kind of cut through the noise of misinformation that was starting to to grow over that three years. And then as the pandemic started winding down, the healthcare system continued to be really strained. And Mm. for me, my bottom line is protecting that precious gift that we have. I mean, we're in Canada. Mm -hmm. We're so lucky to have a public and accessible healthcare system. And and that's the hill that I'm going to die on, that that Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that every Canadian continues to have that access. And so for me, the way to kind of do that is, is to do what I can to help educate people to use those resources as effectively as possible. Nobody wants to go to the ER. It's it's yeah. a stressful time. I've it had is. to go with my kids before mm-hmm. and it's scary. And a lot of times, thankfully, it's just parents that are looking for reassurance and that need that reassurance and having yeah. been on the other side of that and also being in the position of being the physician to provide that reassurance. I understand how important it is for parents to have that for their kids, but also for themselves as adults too. I work with pediatric and adult patients. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that this space has kind of become so accessible to, to have information at your fingertips, I wanted to, to make sure that there was a credible voice there mm-hmm. to provide that information, to help guide questions, to, to help ease fears, and in the end, to help protect our healthcare system. I love that. And and you're right. There's so many times we just don't know what the right thing to do is. I remember when my daughter came home from her dad's cottage and all of a sudden went to go have a shower and noticed a very large tick on her shoulder. And we... It was like one of those things where you could Google and there was 45 million different pieces of advice and some were so catastrophic and some were so oversimplified and just cutting through, no, like you said, cutting through the noise. What the heck do you do? And I had this moment of Oh my, like if this had happened on a Friday night and I didn't have access to my doctor that day, I probably would have gone to the ER because the fear of what I knew was possible was overtaking the rational side of me that knew that there was maybe a simplified way of of dealing with it. In terms of what you see and what things bring parents in, because I don't want to like shame any parents who have like gone to the ER. I've like been there and I've done that. Like there has been times where I've had to myself. I mean, I've taken myself to ER with a migraine and I felt so silly being there and also acknowledged that that was the place that had the IV that was going to give me what I needed. So like, it's a hard line. We don't need to feel shame if we've like gone and done the thing and then found out afterwards, like we didn't need to go. But also how do we really like figure out how to educate ourselves to know when is the right time to go in the ER? So what are like some common reasons that you see people in the ER that maybe didn't need to be there? Yeah. And, you know, I think you make really, really good points there that there's, I think there's this just low level of public health literacy. It's exactly yes. kind of what you were saying, right? That people just don't know. And, and, and it's not the general public are not health experts. So it's actually no, not, not, not be, their, yeah. yeah, it's not their place to know that. But I think it's, it's our role as healthcare providers 
to get that information out there and to have that public education and increase that health literacy. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, there are there like from a pediatric standpoint, fevers, super, super common. And, and fevers yeah. are scary when you're, when fevers your child has so a fever, scary. especially when it's a, it's your, you know, your first baby and it's their first fever. And it's hard watching your kid have a fever because they oh, look yeah. so unwell and so helpless and you know, you start Googling, like you said, and you start seeing things like febrile seizures and things like meningitis. And those are scary things. And so I never fault parents for bringing their kids in for fevers. I'm happy to provide that education for anybody And there. And like you said, there shouldn't be any shame associated with coming Mm -hmm. into the ER. If that's where you feel like you need to be, then you come and I will happily see you. And my colleagues will happily see you and do what we need to do to make sure you and your child are okay. Yeah. And I think that's like a really important thing because like fevers are scary. We had a pandemic baby and you you would think uh, like four kids, I'm scraped up enough in parenthood that I'm like, I don't like, I'll be fine. I'm not worried. I'm not stressed. And I remember the first night she was born and I just all night just stared at her like, is she breathing? Is she this? Is she that? And I, it was about a year into her life that she got her first fever and we were not okay. Like we were genuinely just on edge and feeling so scared. And I think at the time with so much information out there and these these tiny stories that sort of pop up where a parent, you know, didn't know that something was wrong. And then you, like you said, like these, these really big headlines sort of exist within your brain and you're like, I, that doesn't, I don't want that to be me. There's been multiple, multiple times where I've had to talk myself into, okay, let's try this first and let's, you know, go the next step. I remember too, and I want to ask on here, is there still there used to be like a hotline you could call and talk to a live nurse. Do those still exist? Because I remember that being so helpful when I was a new mom. They do. And so in Canada, it's HealthLink, which I think in every province is 811. It's a different number in the US, but there is a health link everywhere. And so knowing what that number is for you locally means that you have access to a nurse that can kind of talk through things and help you decide whether it's something that you can wait to see your pediatrician mm-hmm. or family doctor for or whether it's something that you should go to the ER for more urgently. Okay, cool. What are some other ways that we can sort of like brush up on some knowledge beyond obviously following you on social? You do a lot on like, and I think this is a big one, Lyme disease. Lyme disease is a huge one right now. When mm-hmm. And like I said, when you see a tick on your child, it's like this big bad boogeyman that you heard about and suddenly it's bitten into your child and you're like, oh my goodness, their life is now at risk. So things like that, are there, is, is kind of following someone like you a great way for us to sort of build our confidence around how to manage these things? Absolutely. So like the content that I produce is exactly trying to have those quick snappers like that, or things that I'm seeing in the ER where I'm seeing adults and kids and parents that are worried about certain things. And so a lot of the content that I make is based on what I'm seeing and based on what is seasonal at the time. So right now, right, like ticks, stings, heat stroke, those sorts of things in the Mm -hmm. winter, it's things like fractures from slipping on the ice, concussions from hitting your head. So I try to keep it relevant to what is important at the time. And then beyond my content, make sure that you're going to a credible website. So depending Mm -hmm. on what, where you are checking out that website of your local health authority, checking out the health Canada website or the FDA or CDC website, the WHO. So making sure that you are, when you're looking for things. So if you do feel like you do need to Google, making sure that you're kind of doing a gut check on the credibility of that site. So, you know, if it's like a blog, that's not Mm -hmm. from a physician, probably not a great idea. 
Yeah. But if it's from a, you know, municipal or kind of national organization that has known credibility, you know that the information there is going to be kind of vetted and compiled in a way that's evidence-based and that is going to be accurate and, and not kind of fear or misinformation. And then of course, I mean, it's, it's tough right now because, you know, a lot of Canadians and Americans don't have family doctors, Yeah, but your doctor is the best resource. They're the one that knows you the best, that knows your child the best. And a lot of times there are after hours lines with, within family doctor offices as well. So checking in with your own doctor too, is really important. Yeah. And after hours clinics and stuff, which I know the wait times are wild, but I remember last time we were in the ER and I remember just thinking it's such a hard, it must be such a hard system or a hard job to work because there's people who are sick and then there's people who are injured and we're all in the same room. And it is, and you watch somebody go ahead and you're like, well, why did that person, And, and it can be really complex and it's, I remember I lived in a different city and they actually had like two separate types of places that you went to. One was for sickness and one was for injury because a lot of times it's like, well, when I was there in the last time, the little boy had, he had fallen off his bike and he had split his full upper lip and it was, it was open. And I felt so bad because it was like a three hour wait at that point. And I'm thinking, uh, he can go ahead of me. Can I just get, he's just this little boy and he's crying. And it was so hard to see that like we were sitting in the same space. Cause it also must be scary that he's come in with an injury and we have an illness. And how do they know, like, how do we not get sick from each other in terms of like how, and I want to ask this and I don't know that you're necessarily going to know the answer, but Google, I think, I actually had a guest on here once who had a lot of medical fear and her therapist actually had her stop Googling symptoms, stop Googling things. Do you think that a lot of sort of the pressure on the healthcare system has happened from a lot of people, myself included, that we Google things and fear sort of overtakes pre, not pre-pandemic, but pre-internet like days? Was this always an issue where ERs were sort of full of a lot of scared parents? Or do you think the internet, as much as it's a vast wealth of knowledge, has also not overeducated us, but just confused us along the way? Yeah, I think there are two big reasons right now that we're seeing such an influx of patients to the ER. One is definitely that kind of this new and evolving era of having information at people's fingertips. And Mm -hmm. so being able to Google things, certainly, even, even if it's a credible website, that's the first one that's on the list. Yeah. It's the, it's the ones that look bad that are going to catch your eye first, right? That's of just human nature. Yeah. And so I think that that definitely plays into it. And, and I think the secondary part of that, but probably the larger issue is not having primary care. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. have primary care and don't yeah, have that family doctor as a checkpoint. And so I would say over the last two to three years, I see a growing and growing number of people who are coming in that don't have a family doctor, so they don't have anywhere else to go. And right. I will never fault people for that. If if the ER is the place that you need to go to feel safe, then we will see you. But it kind of illustrates this much broader issue in our healthcare system that we need to kind of focus on the foundation, which is primary care and family doctors to kind mm-hmm. of continue to take that pressure off the acute care system. I'm so excited for Weston to be a sponsor of this podcast because they have so many incredible things that I didn't even know about, and now I get to share them with you. Weston has over 200 destinations around the world and help make it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling. 
With signature offerings that help you move, eat, and sleep well, Westin Hotels make travel an opportunity to enhance your well-being or keep up on whatever routines that you want to keep up on. At Westin, you can work out the way you want. There's a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine going while you're away. Maintain your focus in Weston Workout Fitness Studios equipped with state-of-the-art equipment or get moving on a group run led by Weston's Run Concierge, a running guide and buddy who makes it easy for you to explore the local areas. Wherever you are, you can run like a local. Weston's three and five mile scenic running maps make it easy to find your best route to explore on foot. Or you can do your own thing, which is my sort of personal preference. In your guest room with workout and recovery gear that's available on demand through Weston's gear lending program. You customize your workout while on the go with Hyperice and Bala products to borrow during your stay. And if you're like me and have different nutritional needs, their Weston chefs have crafted dishes with your well-being in mind. Choose what's right for you based on your nutritional balance and make it easy to nourish your health no matter the destination. And of course, we have to talk about sleep. Recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep in Weston's renowned heavenly bed. Wind down naturally with Sleep Well Lavender Balm, which eases tensions and soothes the senses. At Weston Hotels, there's amenities and offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, and sleep well, so you can keep your well-being close while away. Find wellness on your next day at Weston. And just like that, your favorite besties and tastemakers, Benito Skinner and Mary Beth Barone are back. Did you miss us? You know they did. Join us every Wednesday on your way to Sephora to hear our witty, ridiculous and irreverent musings on life, the universe, existence and of course what we currently ride for. You're going to absolutely live slash die for this podcast. You might even, dare we say, ride ride for it. it. Yeah. And as we've seen with a lot of hospitals, I don't know about in every area, but in our area, some of the smaller towns, their ERs have actually shut down and consolidated with other hospitals, which is just like making it a lot worse. So I can understand why you have a passion for sort of not just like educating on like when to go and when not to go, but also talking about things like preventing heat stroke, how to actually, as we've had to go through lately, managing air quality control. That was a new one. I don't, I don't think I've ever had to look up online when the right time to go outside or when it was safe to go outside. I remember thinking, okay, I've heard about air quality my whole life, but I walked outside and it smelled like a campfire and my throat started to get a little burny, a little spicy. And I was like, all right, well, maybe. And and I remember telling my mom, oh, it's bad outside. Like it smells like a campfire. And she's like, Sarah, you're, you cannot be outside today. Like get inside the house. And I can imagine just even simple things like that, we just don't know what to do causes, you know, I've heard a lot of people got really, their asthma triggered, things like that. So like some of those preventative measures, things like heat stroke, something I suffered from a lot as a child. My son has suffered from it a couple times now. It's scary. And it's also highly preventable, highly preventable, and just like difficult to navigate. Once you're in it, you're in it. But there are ways to sort of prevent it. So in terms of like you're working with parents and sort of, or caregivers and trying to sort of help on that end of it, what are sort of some of the key things that you see yourself sort of talking about repeatedly in order to stay out of the ER? 
Yeah, absolutely. And then that's a really good point. Like for me, prevention is the best medicine. I yeah. always say that I would much rather not see someone come and see me because mm-hmm. I've been able to prevent something or, yeah. or, you know, the public health education has been enough to prevent something from happening like heat stroke, you know, like asthma flare ups, like injuries, right? It, yeah. Every injury is preventable. And so that's like, that's a really important piece to think about in terms of kind of how I manage it in the ER. A lot of it is kind of education, but also managing expectations. So mm. letting parents know, you know, it's okay that you brought your child in for this. I understand why you brought them in. Here are the things that you can expect when you go home. So this is, this is kind of the course of illness that you can expect if they have, you know, if they've come in with a broken bone and they now have a cast on, here's how you care for this cast. Here's what you right. can expect in terms of what your appointments are going to be. And the idea for that is number one, kind of bringing down that anxiety for the parents that they Mm. are understanding what the next steps are and what to expect in the coming days to weeks. And then also ideally preventing an eMERGE visit because they're not sure of what Mm -hmm. to do next. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of it is that education piece of, of setting those expectations and letting them know what the expected course is so that it prevents them from, from needing to come back in. Because again, you know, you mentioned waiting for hours is not is, is not good for anybody. And so trying to kind of prevent that visit is, is a big piece of, of what I do in the ER too. When a parent comes into the ER and they're clearly all in crisis as it kind of goes when you're a parent and the thing you love more than anything is now sick or injured and sort of preventing that coming back to the ER when you just sort of get lost, what are some of the tips you have for just managing your emotions and also retaining information. Because I can't tell you how many times I have walked in and had all of it. Well, I'll tell you, like Lemmy has a food allergy. And last summer she accidentally, we didn't realize this had had happened at the time. She had accidentally had some oats, which is her food allergy. And it triggered vomiting to the point that she was vomiting blood. So we obviously went to the ER and then we got everything managed. And I remember the doctor told me all these things and said all this stuff. And then I went home and I'm like, "I, I don't remember. I don't recall. How do we sort of go in in the most stressful situations, because I believe in talking about stressful situations before you get into them so that you just, that we might say something here today that like a semblance of something is going to help somebody prevent them from sort of that brain fog that overtakes you in a moment of stress. What are sort of something you would say that we can do to make sure that we're retaining that information and asking the right questions before we leave? Because let's be real, doctors are also human and they might not say everything that we need to hear exactly at that time too. I think you bring up a really important point because the way that I kind of see things is that no matter what somebody's coming to the eMERGE for, it's the worst day of their life. And I always try to remind myself of that. It doesn't matter if it's a split lip, like you said, Mm -hmm. or, you know, a bad migraine or a severe food allergy. There's that spectrum. If they've come to the eMERGE, it's the worst day of their life in that moment. It truly is. Remember that. Um, And because of that, like you said, it's really hard to to remember everything. And so Mm -hmm. I would say a couple of points. One, even before you come to the ER. So if you're worried about something like, so you gave the example of let me vomiting blood, take a picture of that. Yeah. So I often will kind of, you know, or if there's, if there's blood in the diaper or something like that, like yes, take, take pictures, pictures of things because, you know, pictures worth a thousand words and it's it so, was, yeah. or videos, I remember the doctor even, right? asked me that and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And it's just, and of course, you, like, why would you think of doing that? Or yeah. even videos, right? If you're, if you or your child or someone you love is having some weird movements or weird eye flickers or something, taking a video of that, because inevitably by the time you get to the eMERGE, it's gone, it's not happening again. Yeah. And so having that information is so valuable for us, even before the eMERGE visit happens to have that visual 
of what's going on, writing down things. So if you start noticing things that are happening, writing down the timeline of things, what time did the vomiting start? When did you start noticing blood? What other symptoms are you noticing? And even writing down questions that you might have before you even go to the ER while you're waiting in the waiting room. So, you know, open up the notes app on your phone and start writing things down. And then on the flip side, so then be, you know, be sure to kind of ask those questions when you're there. And then when it's time for discharge, bring out a piece of paper, the notes app and write those things down when you're getting discharge instructions or, you know, open up text, text them to your partner or your friend or whatever, whatever you need to do to kind of document that. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to ask for a handout at the end. Yeah. You know, like you said, Sarah, like emerge is so busy and we're always trying to do the best thing for each patient. But sometimes like also in our mind is like, I still need to see the 20 other people that are waiting. And so sometimes we forget to kind of give those handouts. And so don't be afraid to ask for that because more times than not, especially in pediatrics for common things, there, there are already preformed handouts on those. And we're happy to send people out the door with those just so that they have something to refer back to after they go home. And of course, forget everything because it's such a stressful time. It's so stressful. And you know what? It was, it's a really good point you made about like taking the pictures and all that stuff, because even beyond like an ER visit, I remember years ago, I noticed an irregular pattern in the way that my daughter was breathing when she was sleeping. She was like, she was maybe four or five at the time. And we went to an ear, nose and throat doctor. And he said, you know, some of the diagnosis process for figuring out sleep apneas and stuff can be quite a while because there's quite a wait list. And I had this video recording when she was sick and the way she was breathing. And that actually got us right through to the next step. We got to skip like months, if not years of waiting for help because I had taken evidence of the way that she was breathing, that the doctor could see it firsthand and just like didn't even question it, went straight through to booking her surgery, which I thought was like, now that you said that, I was like, oh, that's such an important thing. But I want to ask you something. I'm sure you've seen this TikTok that went around about a man who had a sprained ankle or a broken foot and he catches the ER doctor Googling how to wrap an ankle. And everyone was like, oh, these doctors like don't know what they're don't know what they're doing anymore, all of this stuff. From your side, why is it that a doctor would continue to educate themselves on, you know, something as what we may see as simple as wrapping an ankle? I think that's a really good point. So I mean, I think it's important for everybody to understand that medical information and science is constantly evolving, right? We're always doing studies. I mean, the pandemic is a great example of this. And unfortunately, I think it is what sowed a lot of mistrust in people because there wasn't a good narrative of explaining that science is evolving and things are going to change. That happened before the pandemic. It happened during the pandemic and it's going to continue to happen in the future. As we get more information, as new studies come, as new medications are kind of researched and as new techniques to wrap ankles or put shoulder dislocations back in. Like even from the time that I studied for my residency exam to now, there are like three or four new methods to put a shoulder back into place. And it's important for us to keep up with those things and know Mm -hmm. those things Mm -hmm. because typically what happens is when there's a new method, it means that it's less invasive or less traumatic or better for whatever reason. And so continuing to educate ourselves is really important, but also, you know, wrapping an ankle is Something that people like, especially if it's in a smaller emerge, it might not be something that you do a lot and you want your doctor to be able to have a refresher of that. So for us, like we're really good in the emerge at like saving people's lives because that's something that like, you know, resuscitation, those are things that we do all the time, but sometimes something that's more obscure that we haven't seen in a while, I think it's perfectly okay for, for people to 
need to look that up just to refresh their memory because you want to be able to make sure that your doctor is the most, you know, up to date and educated as possible. Yeah, I love that because I kind of thought the same thing when I saw it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. And then also like, Oh, I kind of like part of me would like having a doctor that double checked what they're doing. (laughs) Like, I was like, that actually feels encouraging. And I know things have recently changed. And obviously we're in Canada, but I know things have changed recently in terms of what you can actually go to your pharmacist for now. Do you know what those things are? So it's province dependent, but for example, things like getting a strep swab, you can go to your pharmacist. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, and I, and I think it is province dependent, like I'm in Alberta. So uh, pharmacists here can do a strep swab. Yeah. Most pharmacists across the country can renew your medications Mm -hmm. can give you kind of short prescriptions for different antibiotics. Sometimes can they're in their scope is to counsel you on medications and look at all of your medications and kind of look at any sort of interactions or side effects. So that is already in the scope of, of pharmacists. And I think that you make a really good point because not just for pharmacists, but like other healthcare providers, like dietitians, optometrists, yeah. physiotherapists, all of these professionals have such broad scopes. And I think that we need to start also educating the public on what is appropriate to go to these other places again, to take the, the pressure off hospitals and family doctors too. Speaking of prevention being key, I have witnessed many times over the last, you know, however long we've been on the internet for where something did happen and it was truly a preventable thing. And I've seen a lot of ER doctors speak out about just, I mean, a big one is helmets, the importance of like, and I think when you hear it from an ER doctor, like you have no idea how many kids we get in here who, you know, have really life altering injuries. And it was a helmet. I remember a mother whose child fell off a skateboard while not wearing a helmet. And she said something that stuck with me forever. And it made me the, you know, the uncool mom real fast because she said, I shouldn't have been a best friend. I should have pushed harder and made her wear a helmet. But I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to mince her words or anything, but her daughter was in a coma. We watched for weeks as it wasn't sure where, how it was going to go. And it mystified me that she was independently riding down the sidewalk without a helmet. And I don't know that I would have thought to make my kid put on one in that instance, but I'm sure you see it time and time again, everything from car seat safety to certain things like well, speaking of car seat safety, like not putting a jacket on in their car, but like in their car seat or, you know, helmet wear, what are like those big ones that have sort of in years of being in the ER, you've seen repeatedly and it's just, you know, mistakes that are just so easy to make sometimes and so preventable at the same time and difficult to navigate when it's at the point of no return. Yeah. And I think helmets are a really, really big one. The number of head injuries that I see in kids and in adults, because there aren't helmets being worn are just innumerable. Like I am already kind of thinking in the back of my mind of all these devastating outcomes that I've seen because of that. And it's 100% preventable. And I mean, you know, in my family, we just, the rule is you don't go on any wheeled object without a helmet on. And the kids now know that Mm. they call it out when they see it, which I I'm not embarrassed about that. Like it's important to, to kind of, you know, educate your kids to be on, be on board with it too. Yeah. And then even just, this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but like 
I would never go on a motorcycle or <laughs> I actually, I, that's, that's not unpopular with me. My husband used to ride <laughs> one and I was like, I wasn't okay with it. It was really hard. And he's been in but, accidents before. Yeah. And like, those are the ones, I mean, like there's nothing around you protecting you or even things like trampoline parks. So like the rule in our family is, so my daughter's seven and she knows, and it's like hard. It's a conversation that we constantly yeah. have, like a, a, a solitary trampoline. She's allowed to go on with one friend. That's okay. fine. But okay. like the number of injuries that I've seen at those like big trampoline parks. Oh, my son like, would hate this. <laughs> he loves know. a trampoline park. No, but like, it's good for us to know. We need to know, right? We need to know the risks that we're taking and the decisions we're making. Yeah. And like, and you know what, you make a good point. It is all about just making informed decisions. So I'm not saying like, don't go. I'm telling you what my family's not doing, but I like, it's a risk, risk benefit balance. Always. Everything is always a risk benefit balance. And so, I mean, like in trampoline parks, for example, like I've seen spinal fractures, spinal cord injuries, severe head injuries, you know, breaks of bones that require surgery. So lots of kind of big things that way. And e-scooters, right? That was the other one. That's going to be the big unpopular opinion, I think, because they're, those are so ubiquitous oh, no. now. They're I everywhere. I can't get but... on when they terrify me. And they should, they should, because I can't even tell you the number. And like, people don't wear helmets on them. They go really fast. They can go like 12 miles an hour, which is like 20 kilometers an hour. That's, that's really fast with nothing around you protecting you. And I have seen extremely devastating injuries from that too. And so that's, that's a, that's a big one that I will tell anyone that listens to, to not get on an e-scooter. Even if you have a helmet on the rest of your body isn't protected from those high speeds. I think what shocked me, and even when I was traveling this last week, there were so many of them parked outside bars. And I was like, wait, is how is that not like a form of DUI to get onto a moving vehicle and drive it? Like that doesn't feel safe. And and not only is it not safe for the person on it, but the people around them, like what if they run into a pedestrian or a bicycle mm-hmm. that's, you know, is riding safely or walking safely. So it not only puts the person at risk, but the people around them at risk too, especially when things like drugs and alcohol are involved too, because it just makes it even more dangerous. And kind of going back to the constant evolution of information and, you know, products and whatnot that's out there. Talk to me about car seats for a second, because this is a big one. It's, I mean, we've learned not, you know, and I remember saying it in my stories and I felt like such an asshole. I felt like such an asshole. Cause I was like, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, I wonder if everyone knows this because I know for a long time I didn't, but I also don't want to come across like I'm shaming anybody because I made this exact same mistake and I had no idea. And I wish somebody had told me earlier. And I look at old pictures of, you know, being a really young mom and my kids are so little and I look at their seatbelt or their, their straps being, you know, not great or turning them forward earlier than they should have. And because I just didn't know better. And I think it's like really one of those things I think our backs get up really fast because it's like you don't ever want to hear you're doing the wrong thing. And that's like a really, really hard thing. But I think it's also important because we are talking about like life-saving stuff. And the more and more I learn about car seats and I see the rules have changed drastically. So a mom like me, I mean, 17 years ago when I had a kid, the rules were entirely different than they are now. Imagine I continue to apply the rules from 17 years ago to now and didn't check any of the change of information. That's where social media can get a little different. And I'll be honest, when I saw a lot of, I follow like safe in the seat on Insta and she's in, she's in the States. But I remember when I first started reading that content, there was a part of me that felt like a little shame because it was hard to know that I'd been doing it wrong. It was hard to admit that. And it was hard to make the change or to take more time 
But in the air of prevention, I do think it's an important conversation. I'd love to sort of hear some of your insight on car seat safety. I think you made a few really important points there. Like, and one about the evolution of, yeah, of information. I mean, we, yeah. And we talked about the the TikTok video that you showed. Let's say, for example, the car seat guidelines just got updated last month. You would want your pediatrician to open that in front of you and read it out to you so that they're, they're getting it hundred percent correct. Yeah, right. So yeah. that's a perfect example of, of having some flexibility and grace for your provider to make sure they're actually providing you with the safest, safest information because it changes so quickly. You want to want to make sure that it's up to date when it comes to car seat safety. Like, as you said, that has evolved dramatically, even over like the, you know, from when I had my first child who's seven, my second one, who's four, there were changes even within those three oh, years yeah. that I had to kind of look up and make sure that I had a conversation with our doctor about. So the big things are like weight limits. That's the big one in terms of when it's like forward facing versus rear facing, mm -hmm. knowing when the right weight limits are to kind of go up to like a booster with the back and then without yeah. the back. And that's going to be really important to kind of pay attention to those and looking at your kind of local health authority. Every local health authority is going to have that information. Your public health office will have that information okay. for you as well. And if not, then your pediatrician or family doctor will too. And it's a clear step-by-step -step thing of like when to switch to front facing, what kind of car seat to have, when to have a booster with the back, and when you can go to just a, like a booster beneath the bum with the seatbelt. And then when you can graduate from that. And then also when it's safe to go to the front seat. And so this is all specifically for keeping your child safe, right? They yeah. have such small vulnerable bodies and especially their heads and necks are so vulnerable. And so making sure that you're following those guidelines is going to be really important. And, and kind of the, the take home that I want to make sure that people understand is that it's weight-based, not age-based because some kids are smaller and some kids, some kids are so true. Um, taller and larger. And so it's important to kind of make sure that you're following that to keep your child as safe as possible. Yeah. And like, it's, it's hard to always know the right thing. I remember just recently, my husband's like, I think she needs to be forward facing in the car. Her legs are bent. And I'm like, oh, I remember thinking this and I remember learning otherwise. And it was like really, it was really cool for us to have this conversation about like, okay, well, let's look up the things. We actually have a car seat that extends up to four years rear facing and we're doing extended rear facing for as long as we can. That's a choice that we've made off of the information that we've learned. And we have like the car seat to go with that. But like, yeah, you have to check, especially like after, after like two, they no longer go to the doctor every two, three months going for things. So making sure you know their weight and their heights. Like these are really simple things. But once you fall into a pattern in life, it's hard. Like I swear to goodness, the last two years are such a blur for me. Like I don't even know the last time we've like, you know, properly checked installations and things like that. And or I even every day now I try, I try and remember that I heard this once, like the biggest way to prevention is like believing things can happen to you. And so I have a car that actually has a vehicle in that sort of says like, check your back seat because it knows it can feel a weight that's going on in a car seat. But beyond that, I thought, you know, this is a really important thing for me to remember is when pride makes you think that you would never be the one to forget your child or to race through buckling them and buckle them wrong. Sort of like that idea that, you know, that would never happen to you is actually causing a lot of harm. And so I've been running off this belief system of believe it can happen to you. Believe that every other parent who never thought it could happen to them, you know, it did. And so I, and I, and that's hard to hear because I remember when I was following Safe in the Seats post about car seat, like heat exposure prevention, or, you know, 
I don't know what the terminology she used was. The people in the comments were like, this isn't a bag of groceries. This is your child. How could you forget them? How could you do that? And there was so much anger. And yet the reality is like, it it is happening. It's happened. And ever since she said that one line of just believing it can happen to you has changed everything for me. It has made me slow down a little bit when buckling them up in the car seat, when my son is going for a bike ride saying, are you, do you have a helmet on? It's so stressful being a parent. There's so much that you have to think about and your life is so busy, especially if you have multiple things going on or you struggle with really common diagnosis now like ADHD or memory disabilities. These are very common things and it's okay that you have that. And it's also really great that we can have conversations about realizing that a lot of this stuff is preventable and a lot of it, our pride can't come in front of us. Like we believing that it's possible to happen is I think so important. And I think that's why I really like what you're doing because it's having these like breakdown conversations about these little things, but it's also preparing us for situations before they come. It's, you know, reminding ourselves that like, you know, just because you live in the middle of a city you might be like, well, I'm, we never, that was me. I've never even seen a tick in my life. Why would I ever worry about a tick bite? And then my kid came home with a tick bite and my whole world felt like I, I felt sick. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know how to manage my emotions around it. And other people, I mean, they deal with that on the everyday. They know what they're doing. They've been through the practice and we're not medical experts. We are meant to lean into information. We are meant to you know, listen to our gut and also work on that prevention the best way we can and getting rid of that shame, like realistically, really getting rid of that shame. I think that's been a really, really big piece for myself is understanding that we are humans raising humans and we, things are going to happen. That is a reality. And also there are ways that we can sort of build ourselves up from some of that as well. And not starting at the point of shame, but instead starting at the point of prevention and and going from there. I have you had any like really cool stories come back to you about somebody who managed to, you know, have a prevention story or is it one of those things that we don't really ever know what we're doing and we're just sort of because I guess that's true, right? When you're sharing information, you don't know what it's actually going to impact. You're just doing it in the hopes that it does. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. I, I love that the approach that you just said, I haven't heard that before, but I'm, I was thinking kind of, as you were talking, that's the way that I live my life because of mm-hmm. what I see at work. Yeah. But, true. That must right? be terrifying. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and so like, that, that's why helmet safety is so important. That's why, you know, I have like these rules in my family because of what I see at work, because I live my life in a way that assuming that it could happen to me because of what I see at work, I think kind of Bring, making that broader, like what you said, to just kind of always think that it could, you're, you could like, of course you're the best parent that you want to be to your child, but anything can happen when you're tired or, you know, when you're rushing because everyone's life is so busy. I, I love that. Just kind of thinking, always thinking, well, it, it could happen. And so helping that frame how you're going to practice prevention in your, in your kind of daily life. Yeah. And then in terms of having that feedback, the one really cool thing about being on social media now, which I wasn't really active in even just like two or three years ago, is getting that feedback. Because as an eMERGE doc, we typically only see someone once, right? We're, we're seeing them once and they're either going to go and be admitted, go to surgery or be discharged to follow up in the community. And so we don't often get that feedback. And so what's been really neat is people messaging me, like DMing me on Instagram and saying, you know, like, 
I had a conversation with my husband about why we shouldn't use e-scooters, or I had a conversation with my sister about, you know, why helmets are important or whatever it is. And so get being able to have that feedback has been a really one of the one of the awesome positive pieces of being more active on social media with this with this public health education. Yeah. And I think that that's one thing when we when we were talking about rear facing beyond the account safe in the seat, there was actually an ER doctor that talked about like the number one things she saw in prevention were the fact that she had never seen a child come in when something was done properly. It, it was something along those lines and it stuck with me. And I really appreciated that because we don't have to live with seeing trauma every day or seeing illness every day and seeing how much prevention could take place. We're living all our own individual lives and it's hard to be prepared for all of it. And I think that that is like a, things like that and hearing from doctors and online and having that opportunity to sort of hear their stories. I mean, there's a labor delivery in nurse and she has like a whole merch line that says, it's okay that you're scared because I'm not, because it's okay that that we're absolutely terrified. And, you know, she's not because she's the expert. And if she's calm, we're good. You're in really, really good hands. And we're so, I'm so grateful that we, you know, had this opportunity to kind of chat through some of this stuff because it's really, I'm not going to lie. It's a hard topic to broach. It's a hard topic to have conversation with and cut through sort of our own internalized like shame or judgments or lack of being prepared. Let's be real. And, you know, owning some of those things. So I think it's, it's been really good for me too, to be like, Hey, the things I was doing (laughs) 15 years ago are really not always okay today. Maybe they weren't okay then. And we're in such a good opportunity to learn and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful that we can hopefully make some major preventions. And I think this is, who knows, this is one of those things that we'll never know. We'll be mystified forever. But who knows what conversation this comes out that one parent will tell their kid to wear a helmet and that kid will fall and not have a head injury and not end up in the ER. And I think that's what's so amazing about the work you do is that you never really get to know the satisfaction of like how well it works, but we can just sort of hope that it does. And so I appreciate you so, so, so much. Tell everyone where they can find you and start sort of absorbing and learning some of these little bits of information that'll help us stay out of the ER. Yeah, it's been, it's been great chatting with you today. So I'm on Instagram, TikTok at Dr. Shazma Mathani. So D-R-S-H-A-Z-M-A-M-I-T-H-A-N-I. That's the name of my website as well. So drshazmamathani.com. So you can find me there and connect on, on socials through there as well. Amazing. And for everyone listening, I'll have that in the show notes for you. Take care. This is not meant to be an episode to shame you. It is not meant to do anything but to empower us for just a little bit more preparedness and the things that we just don't know. And that's okay that we don't. And we're on this wild ride together. Thanks so much for listening, opening up your mind to having this conversation and to sort of into that air of prevention and safety and just empowering us to do our absolute best. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. 
find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.